Here we are on Pentecost Sunday. This is, as we've been talking for the last few weeks, this is what I call the third great event of the New Testament, the birth of Jesus, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and the giving of the Spirit. It is here. Pentecost doesn't get the attention, of course, that the other two do, but I want to remind us all, it is an incredibly important day. And uh, it, all three of these events are, are literally central to our faith. They're all important. If you, you take one out, it doesn't work. Think about that. Just take one of those events out and nothing works. This is central to our faith. It's central to the plan of God. Jesus was the one who said, I will leave, but he will come, and it is good because he will be here with you. It it is central to the plan of God. It is what he always planned to do because he knows that we need the power of the Holy Spirit. He knows that we can't do the great co-mission, right? There's co-work going on, right? We have to do our part, he will do his, but we can't do our part unless we have the power of the Spirit. He said, don't you dare leave Jerusalem until he arrives. This is something to our, our detriment as, as, as the church, uh, uh, you know, North America, global, whatever it is, it's to our detriment that we don't talk about the Holy Spirit, we don't teach about the Holy Spirit. Like we read last week in Acts chapter 19, Paul arrives in Ephesus and he says, he says, what baptism did you receive? And they said, the baptism of John. And he said, well, that's salvation, but have you received the Holy Spirit? And there's there's what their response was. We haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. There's people sitting in our churches that don't know about the Holy Spirit. And it's to our detriment. And so let's make sure that we make a big deal about Holy Spirit. Jesus did, and we should too. Acts chapter 2 is when he arrives. So if you have your Bibles, you can pull it open, uh, pull it up on your phone, whatever, you, whatever you're reading, and um, we'll have it on the screen as well. Put it up for me. It says this, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the, say that word with me. When they heard the what? The loud noise. There was no doubt when Holy Spirit showed up. When they heard the loud noise, everybody came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. 
Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the, the province of Asia, Phygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things that God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk. That's all. The day of, thank you, the day of Pentecost is one of the great great Jewish celebrations. It's, in fact, there's three main Jewish festivals that uh, you'll read over and over again. There's more than that, of course, but there was three main ones. They were Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacle. And you'll see those three talked about again and again. Uh, put up for me Second Chronicles uh, chapter 8, verse 12. Here's an example. Then Solomon presented burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar he had built for him in front of the entry room of the temple. He offered the sacrifices for the Sabbaths, the new moon festivals, and the three annual festivals. Here you go. The Passover celebration, the festival of harvest, or Pentecost. Sometimes it's called the festival of weeks. All that is still the same thing. It's Pentecost. And the festival of shelters, or the festival of tabernacles. Say, they, they call them different names in different places, but it's all the same, as Moses had commanded. This is the mighty three, the mighty three, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Now, Pentecost, we know Passover, and we're going to talk about Pentecost today. Pentecost, the word means 50, means 50. And Pentecost was always 50 days after Passover. And that's, uh, that's why it was called Pentecost. That's deep, isn't it? Yeah, 50 days after Passover. It's a, it's a harvest celebration. Think of it in terms of, um, it's kind of like our Thanksgiving day. It's a holiday. People get together, they eat, that you, uh, you sort of uh, spend time, you know, just being thankful for the goodness of God. And this was, this was what Pentecost, the festival of Pentecost was about. It was a holiday where people particularly celebrated the grain harvest and they were reminded of the goodness of God and to thank him for all that he had provided. Now, don't you think it's amazing? Like, it's no mistake that the Holy Spirit comes on this day. He, Jesus tells them to wait, right? He tells them, to, you know, wait, you know, uh, wait until he arrives before attempting to go out and to fulfill the Great Commission. And the Holy Spirit is the only way that we're, we're able to see a harvest of souls. You see, it, Pentecost now for us is, it's the harvest of the Holy Spirit. And, he, and because the Holy Spirit is here, we are now empowered to go out and get the harvest, right? For the fields are ripe unto harvest, right? It's, it's, it's a harvest celebration. And the, the power of the Spirit, what did he say in Acts 1.8? It says, for you shall receive what? Power to be my what? Right. Throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. It is the power that God gives us so that we may go out to do the Great Commission. We can't see harvest the way that we should 
if we don't have Holy Spirit with us. He, he shows up, and it's so cool. God never makes mistakes. His timing is always perfect. And on the day of the harvest celebration, he shows up. Isn't that neat? The symbolism is runs through it deep and rich, and it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, it's so fitting that the Holy Spirit arrives on harvest day. And this is what he has come now to do through us. So we live in this day now in the 21st century where we're guilty of what I would call Holy Spirit substitutes. And we see them a lot, a lot. You know, because we lack the real thing, we lack the real power, we lack the real anointing, we, 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 we lack the real presence sometimes, We'll see churches, people, ministries. We, we try to produce it on our own. This is what we do t- from time to time. We'll run programs and promotions. We'll, we'll do everything and all these things are great and have their place. But when we run them on our own strength and in our own wisdom, we'll only get what we can accomplish. And the task is bigger than what we can accomplish. That's why he said you need Holy Spirit, right? Like, We can't do it. Some people will try to produce the windstorm with our own breath, with our own charisma, with, with our, with our, you know, just with, with smoke and lights and we're trying to generate something. Not that I'm against smoke and lights. It's kind of cool sometimes, but uh, I'm just saying we, we try to produce flame with our own fire, not the fire of the Holy Spirit. When the fire of the Holy Spirit shows up and it's real, Elijah says, dump more water on it. Go ahead. Dump more water on it. Dump a river on it, doesn't matter. When, the, when he comes, boom, it's real, right? It's real. And everyone knows it's real. That's the thing. Sometimes we get tricked or conned into thinking that it's real, but I'm telling you, 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 by the way, let me just say this. Let me just say this. You know the best way to smell a counterfeit is to immerse yourself in the real thing, Right? I read this article one time where people were being trained to recognize counterfeit money. And the, the best way they discovered to, to, people would recognize the counterfeit is by familiarizing themselves with the real. So they would feel it. They would smell it. They would, they would always have it in their hands. And then when a counterfeit would come by and the bill would pass through their hands, they'd go, whoa, whoa, something's wrong with that. doesn't feel right. Right? If you immerse yourself in the real, it won't take very long before you begin to feel when it's not right. Right? So, we live in this day where sometimes we're trying to run these things. We're guilty of these Holy Spirit substitutes. And, and uh, here's the thing, what Paul said. Put up for me 1 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, 2. He says this, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. You see what he's saying here? He's saying, look, I'm not here to trick you. I'm not here to give you some big charismatic spiel. I'm not here to woo you with my, with my wisdom and my, and my, you know, my own ability. I'm, I'm just, I'm here, just regular Paul, just 
preaching the plain message that I know because you can't rely on me. You've got to rely on the power of God. You've got to recognize the real thing when it comes, right? And so it's important. And see, so, so sometimes we run these things and we, I call them Holy Spirit substitutes. And the other thing we do, the other extreme that we do is the Holy Spirit completely scares us, right? Completely scares us. He scares us so much. Believers are so scared of the Holy Spirit sometimes because they have seen or heard of extreme crazy things, right? And so, you know, oh, well, I don't want to go there. We don't even have any chandeliers to swing off of. Although it might be cool. (laughs) But you know, you know what I'm saying is real, where people will, will, try to, will try to fake Holy Spirit or they won't say it, but what's really going on is I'm afraid of the Holy Spirit and of, of the extreme of the Holy Spirit, so we just won't talk about it at all. And people go to church for a decade and you don't even hear anything about it. We're afraid sometimes. We're so afraid that we avoid the topic. We don't want people to think we're crazy, right? Even charismatics, we try to dumb down our message sometimes because people walk in and go, whoa, those people are nuts, right? Do you know what I read this week? I, I shared it with the staff. It was an article. It was like the seven top reasons people return to a church. It was just an article in a poll. And you know what the number one reason was? Number one reason people returned to a church was because they felt and experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit. That was the number one reason what drew people back to a church. We all can go to church and be bored out of our minds. We all can go to a church. We want a church that is filled with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Some people may think we're crazy, and it's okay. We are crazy, you know that. We are peculiar. We are different. Just embrace it. Live it. Just just accept it. You are not of this world. You are not of this world. So you're not going to always fit in because ultimately we don't belong here. We are strangers and aliens in this place, the Bible says. Right? So it's okay. Just embrace the zaniness. But you see, it's not the Holy Spirit substitute. It's not we're so afraid we're not going to talk about Him. We want to find Him right here and say, we want the real deal. We want the real power of the Spirit. We want the real touch of the Lord on our lives, in our families, in our services, in our programs. We don't want to do anything without Him. Right? This is where we need to live. And we cannot allow the misuse right, of spiritual gifts to scare us away from the real thing. And this is what we do from time to time. Vance Havner, an old preacher, he said this, he said, the average one of us is so afraid of getting out on a limb that we never even bother to climb the tree. And he's absolutely right. It's the baby bathwater thing, right? Like, we're so afraid 
of what people may think. We're so afraid of, the, of extremes. We're so afraid of abuse. And, oh, I've seen this pastor, or this person, or this ministry, and they just take people's money, and they abuse people, and they do, and they call it all spiritual and Holy Ghost power. That's not real stuff, right? Immerse yourself in the real, and you'll feel when it's not, right? This is the real deal that we're going after. So, the promise of Pentecost. Whew, I got a lot to say. So, you with me? Okay, the promise of Pentecost. What happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, it's not about a denomination. It's not, it's not about just for Pentecostal churches or just for people who are looking for chandeliers to swing from. You know, it, it's not that. And we need to embrace it and understand it for what it is. It was the fulfillment of a promise made by God for all people, for all times. It is for all who call on the name of the Lord. This is what you all need, not just the Pentecostals down the street. It's for everybody. It is, it is for us all. Look at what he said. I'm just reminding you, Acts 2, 38. At the end of Peter's message, he said, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you. It's to you, right? To your children and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. So Peter does not say, this is a promise that's just a special blessing for a special few just for a special time. Never says it once. Doesn't even hint at it. In fact, he clearly says the opposite. It is for you all, right? He said it's for all. So see, the question is not whether a believer has a right to the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's whether we've claimed the right and received the promise for ourselves. This is what's what's on us. Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Have you? Peter says the promise is for you. You. Yes. Say the promise is for me. Say that with me. The promise is for me. Me? Me. Yeah. So it starts, he says, he says it starts, the promise is for you. So he says it starts with you, meaning the people there that day, those that are hearing his voice. It starts with you, he says. But then he says it's for your children. What he's saying? He's saying it's for you, of course, but it's for the next generation. It's for the people that will follow. In fact, he says it's for all, even the Gentiles, even the Gentiles. For all, for all ages to come, for anyone and all who call on the name of the Lord. So the next generation and the generation after that, and it doesn't matter, red, yellow, black, and white, we can be rich, poor, living in any country of the world, all who call on the name of the Lord, right? Even for Gentiles, which is probably most of us. It's for you, it's for me, and it's for right now. That's my point. The promise of Pentecost and the giving, the, the, the giving of the Spirit, it's for me, it's for you, it's for right now, it's for right here in Stouffville, 
in the 21st century, right now, right now. This is the promise. Now, a couple of years ago, I pulled this out of my file. A couple of years ago, I, I was thinking about um, uh, the Holy Spirit in preparation of, for a message. I don't remember what exactly was. But I was thinking about the Holy Spirit as a drink. And I think I'd stayed up late the night before and saw a really bad infomercial. And I thought, how would I, how would I describe the Holy Spirit as a drink? How would I do that and say it in a commercial and try to describe him? I know that's bizarre, but I'm strange, so I do particular weird things. So this is what I wrote. All right, are you ready for this? It's a couple years old. I probably, I think I've read this before, but many of you haven't heard it. This is what I wrote. So here's my commercial, my infomercial for the Holy Spirit. To be continually refreshed and empowered with no negative side effects, the Holy Spirit should be your choice. Just one drink and you'll notice the difference in your life. He will leave you inspired, strengthened, and ready to face the day and all the challenges that lie ahead. Drink deep and drink often. You will find yourselves inviting others to drink with you. After all, when it's this good, you'll never want to drink alone. It is sugar-free, calorie-free, guilt-free, all natural, good for you, and contains 100% of everything you'll need to not only survive, but to thrive with energy throughout the day. A good drink of the Holy Spirit every morning, and your life will never be the same. But wait, there's more. This drink is completely free. That's right, totally free. Shipping is included. The price has been paid for you. And all you have to do to receive it is just say yes. And a full supply will be delivered straight to you. 100% guaranteed. (laughs) So there's my commercial for the Holy Spirit. (laughs) it's free. What was the promise? What was the promise? The promise was the pouring out of the Spirit. That was the promise. Look at what uh, Peter says in Acts 2.15. He says, these people aren't drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No. No. What you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. Here it is. Here's the promise. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. All people. Come on now. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And in those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. This is the promise that in the last days I will pour out my spirit. Peter, Peter basically gets up and says, like, so first, look, I'll get to that in a second. So this is the promise. The promise is the pouring out of the spirit. Who made the promise, right? Because it's important to know when you receive a promise, who made it? Some people are reliable and some people are not. God 
the Father made the promise. You remember from Titus? And he is a God who does not lie. Right? He is a God who does not lie. So what he says, he does. In fact, you can take it to the bank, as they say. You can take it to the bank. Right? Look at Acts 1.4. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. And look at Luke chapter 24. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as who promised? As my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Right? The infilling of the Holy Spirit is this clear and distinct experience that he's, that he's talking about. Like he, it come, he came on that first day with a loud noise that we should know. It doesn't have to be loud all the time, but it, the point is this. We should know whether we've received an infilling of the Holy Spirit or not. You know it. Jesus commands the disciples to wait in Jerusalem until they receive power from heaven. If it wasn't clear, if it wasn't a clear and sort of a, 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 a definite experience that they had, how would they know if they've received the power? How would they know if they were ready now to go out and do the, do the, the commission that he'd called them to do? How would they know? They knew because they knew. There wasn't a question about it. They knew that they had received power and that they were ready to go start the mission. So God made the promise. So the promise of Pentecost, it's for all. The promise is the Holy Spirit being poured out onto all people. God made the promise. Now now we see in Acts 2 that the promise is fulfilled. Ten days after Jesus ascends into heaven, the promise is fulfilled in a very clear way. There's 120 or so in the upper room. They're filled and they're totally changed. Peter's sermon, uh, it basically declares, is what I was going to say earlier. He basically gets up and he declares, this is it, folks. This is it. The promise that God gave to us has arrived. This is the moment that we've been praying for. He is here. The power has come. He has now given us the ability to go and shake this world and do something that we could never do on our own. He, he has arrived. And so Acts records that the disciples, Mary, the mother of Jesus, the whole bunch of other men and women and various people, they all that day received the Holy Spirit. You see, in a day when women were not treated as equal as men, do you see what God does? In the last days, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your young men, your old men, your, you know, your old women, your young women, it will be poured out on everybody. And, and the promise is fulfilled. In Acts chapter 2, there's 120, a mixture of men and women, and God just pours out His Spirit on them all. All the men and women received. So the message of Jesus now becomes alive. The message becomes powerful. These were the guys that were running and hiding. Now they're standing and fighting. It made a huge difference. It, 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 they took this new power out into the streets. Starting from Acts 2, the Spirit falls. And Peter walks out with this giant crowd 
gathering because of the loud noise that was going on. And in a moment, the anointing of the Holy Spirit comes upon him. He preaches a powerful sermon that he'd never prepped before, that he'd never thought about before, that he never dreamed of delivering before because he was too afraid of hiding and denying who Jesus was. And here he is, Holy Spirit shows up. He steps up and he goes, men and women of Jerusalem, let me tell you about what's happened. And he begins this powerful message. He's transformed. And they all were, right? It it is unbelievable. They went out into the streets from that moment, Acts 2, Acts chapter 3. We saw Peter and John healing the lame man who was lame for 40 years. We see in Acts 4 that they that they throw them into prison. But then when they get out, they, they join the believers and say, let's pray, for we're going we're gonna to obey God and not man. And they have that prayer meeting, remember we talked about, and the place shook. And they went out in Acts chapter 5 and began to see salvations and miracles and things happening that were blowing their mind. They would have never been able to understand or even imagine these things happening. Or even the shadow of Peter is going over sick people laying on the streets. Miracles are happening. People are getting saved. Things are going on that was boggling of the mind. This is what my point is. You know, I read this week, they said that about 3 million people came to faith in Jesus in the first 30 years after the day of Pentecost. 3 million in 30 years. Do the math. Help me out, mathematicians. 100,000 a year? No, no, 100,000 a year. 3 million, 30 years. I, that would be pretty cool, but uh, 100,000 a year is my point. Imagine 100,000 people getting saved every year. That, you know, Stovall's about 50,000. That's our entire town times two. We'd have to build the balcony. Run services every other day. <laughs> this is what happened when Holy Spirit came. It changed everything. The Holy Spirit made them smarter. He, he made them stronger. He made them bolder. He made them faster, right? He gave them direction and purpose. He changed them in a drastic way. I wrote down in my notes, he put the oomph in triumph. That's what he did. He turned Peter and the disciples from Clark Kent into Superman. That's what he did. They're hiding, hiding, hiding. Holy Spirit shows up. Let's let me go. Clark Kent into Superman. That's what he did. I know I'm just making the point, but you get my point. It's exactly what happened, right? See, we can be rowboat Christians who fight and struggle to make small progress against the current using our own strength. Or we can be a sailboat Christian. We just put up up the sail, catch the wind of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit, and let him power us. Let Let him power us through the challenges of life. 
Let him take us and direct us where we need to be. We don't need to go against the wind of the Spirit. We want to catch it and let him, let him take us where we need to go. Right? So you can be a rowboat Christian if you want. I myself would prefer to be a sailboat. He changes everything. Everything. We can do more. We can do it better. We can stay stronger with the power of the Spirit. So, how quickly now, just as I wrap up, because I think it's important, and, and I wanted to include this today. How do you receive, how do you receive this? Because I think it's important to talk about that. It's practical. And so I, 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 I want to just give you three words that I think may help. Three words pointing to three different thoughts. Three words to keep in mind when you want to receive the filling of the Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The first word is faith. My notes are out there, right? Someone's following my sermon notes? Okay, so there, there. But the first is faith, all right? So you receive the baptism of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, the same way that you initially received Jesus, right? We believe by faith, right? You believe that God wants to give you the Holy Spirit in a more powerful way. He, he, you, you have to believe that by faith. You believe that he is for you and not just for others. Not just for a time, you know, 2,000 years ago, but you believe that he is for you. He is right now. He is right now, right now, right now. Not just for others, but the Holy Spirit is for me. You, so you, you, you have to have the, that understanding and that belief to receive by faith. You believe that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit here to earth to fill you, to guide you, and to give you the power to witness and to give you the ability to transform your life, right? So you receive him by faith. That's step number one. The second is, I wrote down the word seek. And what I meant by that is, it's what the disciples were doing in that room that day. Jesus says, stay here. And so for about 10 days, they're talking and praying and seeking God and waiting for this promise to arrive. They're asking God. They're seeking him. And I think that's important. As they're waiting for the promise, right? They're not waiting like, you know, when God says, when God gave us the land and said, build the church and believe we weren't able to just go home and sit on a lazy boy chair and just say, go ahead, Lord, do it all. No, there was a part that we had to play, right? He's saying, if my people, then I, right? There's something that, there's a part that we play, and I'm reminding us all that it's important that we seek the power of the Holy Spirit. You will not find if you do not seek. You will not receive if you do not ask, right? You have not because you ask not, the word says. So it, seeking is, is an important principle. They, the, the disciples are seeking and waiting. They don't know exactly what's going to happen. They have no idea what's going to happen. They're thinking about it. They're talking about it. They're praying about it. But they wanted, here's the point, they were seeking what God wanted for them. Jesus said, I have something that I want to give to you. He is going to come, and I want you to stay right here until the gift is delivered, right? 
Stay right here. So they're staying in this sense of, you know, expectancy, seeking, asking, right? Right? They wanted all what God had for them. And this is what I'm saying about seek. It's, it's, this, it's this desire in us to say, Lord, there must be more than this. There must be more than what I'm experiencing. There must be more joy, more life, more hope, more more power. I fail. I can't overcome my temptations, my addictions. I, I live in weakness. Do you see people that walk in freedom and joy? This is why we get this idea of power all twisted up. It's not that, you know, we're, we're lifting up uh, the piano with our hands. It's not that kind of power. It's the, it's the ability to live free and to let the light and the anointing of, the, of, of Jesus flow out of your life that you have the power to overcome temptation, that you have the power to live free, you have the power to be, impact others. You see, see, people who are filled with the Spirit, I believe this, not in my notes, this one's for free. I believe, right, people walk into a room and you're either going to be influenced or you're going to be the influencer, right? People who are filled with the Holy Spirit walk into a room and, and, and instead of maybe this all dark, dark cloud and this dark room, and instead of letting that influence you, this is the power of the Spirit at work in my life that I'm going to begin to influence that. I'm going to begin to see that lift. I'm going to bring light into a dark place. This is the power of the Holy Spirit, right? And if you didn't know, let me tell it to you absolutely so plain and clear, you need that. I need that. We can't live and do the work of God without the power of God. So seeking is important. You've got to ask for it, seek it. And here's the thing also about seeking. You cannot be afraid, right? We're not talking about Holy Spirit substitute. And we're not talking about being afraid. So we're not going, we're not going to talk about him at all. We're going to find that middle ground to say, I want the real thing. And I want all that you have for me. I don't fully understand it, Lord. The disciples are sitting there. I don't fully understand what you want to do in us, what this power is, what this promise is. But I know this. I want all that you have for me. And this is seeking, right? Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. And the door will be open to you. There's a purpose in the process of seeking, which leads us to point number three. It's surrender. The third word to keep in mind when you want to receive this baptism of the Spirit is surrender. You have to surrender to the Lord. And seeking is the way, one of the ways that you open yourself up to begin to surrender more, right? You have to give him your whole heart you have to give him your whole life. You, you can't hold back. You have to say, take me and take me all. Take all the good. Take all the bad. Take all the dysfunction. Take all my pain. Lord, I, I, I just, I'm surrendering everything to you. And there's something powerful in that act, right? Surrender literally opens the door for the Holy Spirit. You need to understand that. It's why God hates pride so much right? It's why he hates pride so much. It's because it literally blocks you from receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. If you think you can do this on your own, then have at it. 
But when you walk and say, Lord, I can't do it on my own. I'm seeking you. I want all that you have for me. I fully surrender. I open up my heart. I give it to you all. This is when he says, this, my child, is what I've been waiting for. Surrender opens the door to the Holy Spirit. Luke 14, uh, put that up for me. It says, a large crowd was following Jesus. Uh, he said, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Now, I, I threw this in here for a reason. In verse 27, he talks about carrying your cross. When he's talking about carrying your cross, he's saying that you have to recognize that your old life you're, you, you, that it has to die, right? Cross is, is this sign of it's over. Everything that was about you is gone and dead. You have, to, you, you have to die to yourself and you have to find your life in Christ. This is a surrendering process, right? Sometimes people, I've seen people who get saved, filled with the Spirit, and it happens like boom, 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 just like that. Other people get saved, and there's this process of seeking and surrendering, and then the Holy Spirit begins to do something in their lives. Whatever the case may be, I'm, I'm encouraging us, please don't get discouraged. God is for us. It's a gift that he wants to give us. And there is purpose in the process, right? He's working on your pride. He's working on your self-reliance, your, your independence. He's... He's teaching you in the seeking stage how to get to the surrender stage. And when you get there, when you get there, you'll find him. You have to recognize to, that you need to die to yourself and find your life in Christ, that you absolutely surrender to Jesus. Paul said basically the same thing, Romans 12.1. Put it up for me. It says, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. See, he's saying you've got to give it all. You're a living sacrifice. Your old is gone, your new has come, right? So we're called to be this living, holy sacrifice. And so the very heart of following Jesus, the very heart of following Jesus is about surrender. Please if you don't take anything else away from today, please understand that. The very heart of following Jesus is about surrender. And so if you want to experience a baptism of power in the Holy Spirit, you have to learn how to yield. You have to learn how to fully surrender to Him. You have to give it to Him. Everything. Even that yes. Even that skeleton in my closet. Yes. Even my painful past. Yes, everything, give it to him, give it to him, give it to him. He'll never love you less, right? And if you want to experience a baptism of power, you've got to learn how to yield and give that to him. So those three words, I got to stop now, but faith, seek, and surrender are key principles to receive a filling, a baptism, a, a, an anointing, a power, a power touch of the Holy Spirit. And so I encourage us all to open up our hearts and open up our minds to receive 
all that God would have for us. There was an old Scottish preacher, and, and now I promise I'm, I'm done. See, I got so much. I could, I, maybe I could keep going on this a few more weeks. There's so much to say. But anyway, there's an old Scottish preacher. Uh, his name was Alexander McLaren, and he said this. He said, we can have as much of the Holy Spirit as we want. That's what he said. And he said, he, he described it like this. He said, it's like being let into a bank vault and being told that you can take out as much as you want. And he said, if you walk out poor, whose fault is that? The vast richness of the Holy Spirit is ours. We can have as much as we want. We do not have to live poor. And I'm not talking about money. You know what I'm talking about. We don't have to live weak. We don't have to live poor. We don't have to struggle. We don't have to lose more than we win. We can be rich in the Holy Spirit. Put up one last verse, Luke 11. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? They ask for an egg. Do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? It's a promise. God does not lie. It is a promise. It is for you and for your children, for every Gentile and for all who call on the name of the Lord.